One of the great works in all of Christian literature is a book titled The Knowledge of the Holy, written by Dr. A.W. Tozer. It's one of my personal favorite books. If you've never read it, I would strongly encourage you to check it out. It's not a difficult book. It's actually a very small, thin book, but it is recognized as being one of the most profound pieces of Christian literature in, in all of church history. Dr. Tozer, in the opening pages of his book, makes this interesting statement. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. What an interesting statement for us to reflect on and ponder this morning. What comes into our minds when we think about God? Friends, what is our image of God here at Lakes Free Church? Dr. Tozer says that this is the most important matter of self-reflection we could engage in. And not only that, but he goes on and says it's the most predictive indicator of who a man, a woman, or a church will be. What comes into our minds when we think about God? And so this is going to be our goal over the next two months as we begin this new series in the book of Psalms, Songs for the King. Over the next two months, my, my hope and prayer is that we would take time each and every Sunday morning and then throughout the week coming out of these sermons to reflect deeply on the person of God. Who is God? What is God like? And, and what is his will for our lives? And what's our proper response to him? And so to help us in this goal, we're going to look at one of the books in the Bible that I think probably greater than any other highlights these truths for us. The truths of who God is. The truths of his will for our lives. The, the truths of our proper response to him. We're going to be looking at the book of Psalms together over the next seven weeks. We're going to be looking at a series of Psalms that highlight some of the major themes in the book of Psalms so that we can get a, a broad overview of the various things and ways that the book of Psalms speaks to us about God and his will for our lives. The book of Psalms is one of the greatest books in the Bible, as Deanna mentioned earlier in leading us in worship. It's a book that has inspired the praise of Christians and provided encouragement for Christians throughout the centuries. The book of Psalms, the, the term Psalms simply means hymns or songs. And that's what the book of Psalms is. It's a, it's a compilation of 150 poems or psalms or hymns written by God's people, the Israelites, over the period of a thousand years. 
It, it, it was written over a period from the exodus out of Egypt to Israel's exile in Babylon, roughly a 1,000-year period from 1500 B.C. to 500 B.C. And these psalms, these songs, these hymns were written by a number of individuals, some, some famous individuals like Moses and King David and Solomon and, and numerous others. David, probably the, the most well-known psalmist, wrote 70 of these psalms himself. And again, these psalms were written to teach the Israelites truths about God, why he's worthy of our worship, and how we can live in a right relationship with him. And, and so the Israelites would sing these psalms to be reminded of these powerful truths. It's interesting how God throughout history has used music to impress truths upon the hearts of his people. That's why music is such a powerful thing. That's why we, we sing and we sing songs here on Sunday mornings that ultimately point us to Jesus and give glory to God. And how many of you would agree that you won't remember anything I say two days from now, but you can recite the words of all the songs that we just sung this morning? Is that true? I know it's true for me. I don't remember what I preached on last Sunday, but I can tell you the songs we sang, and I can sing the words. God has used music in a special way throughout history. And so when we study the Psalms, we are studying these songs that God has used to teach his people truths, truths that we can still learn from and appreciate today. This morning, as we begin this new series in the book of Psalms, we're going to look at a psalm written by King David, a psalm of praise. Again, remember, we're going to look at some of the major themes in the book of Psalms. Today, we're going to look at a psalm of praise. Now, the first question that came to my mind this week as I began to prepare this sermon was probably the obvious. If we're going to look at a psalm of praise, the question is, well, what exactly does praise mean, right? Praise is one of those words that in the church we sort of just take for granted, right? What are we going to do? We're going to come to church on Sunday morning. We're going to praise the Lord, right? Well, what does that mean to, to praise the Lord? Well, praise, friends, here's a, here's a four-part definition for you I put together this week. Praise is the proper response to an awareness of God's nature, his character, and his activity. So, so as we come to understand who God is and what he's done in the world and in our lives, the proper response is praise. Praise is exalting, glorifying, and offering thanks to our creator, to our God. Praise is most often expressed in song, in prayers, in offerings, and in service. So, so when you think about praise, praise encompasses far more than just singing songs to the Lord. It, it can be expressed again in, in a variety of ways. Praying, giving, participating in service, all of these things are ways that we can give praise to God, our King. And it's often accompanied by a growing reverence for God and a longing to be in a right relationship with him. And so praise is a powerful thing. And as we praise God, God uses our praises to, to shape us and to conform us more into his image and to help us fall more deeply in love with him. And so this morning, we're going to look at a psalm of praise by King David. A psalm of praise where David highlights for us three realities about God's nature, his character, his activity that should inspire us 
and motivate us to greater levels of praise in our lives and in our relationship with him. The psalm we're going to be in today is a great psalm. We're picking some of the best psalms in the whole book for us to study over the course of the summer. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open it to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, this is a psalm of praise by King David, a psalm of praise for God's creation. And we're going to look at this tremendous psalm and see what David has to say to us about who God is and what he's done that should inspire us as God's people to praise him. Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. To the choir master, according to the getith, the getith is, is, is an instrument of gath, so this was a Philistine instrument that David was writing this psalm with, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. What a great song. I remember one of the early praise songs I remember learning as a kid. You remember the the opening line of this psalm? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent your name is, right? One of the great praise songs back in the 80s and 90s comes from Psalm chapter 8. And here David calls us to praise God. He calls us to praise God in light of three things. Number one, he calls us to praise God in light of his glory. We praise God in light of his glory. Verses one and two. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. David opens this psalm using the name of God. He opens this psalm Declaring, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The the terms for Lord there that David uses were very specific. The, The first Lord in the Hebrew is the name of God, the personal name of God, Yahweh. The name that God gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 when Moses was leading the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt and God said, or, or Moses said to God, Lord, what should I tell the people of Israel? What is your name? Who should I tell them has called me to lead them? And God says, tell them I am, I am. I am, in in the Hebrew, is the word Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. It's God's self-revelation to his people. God says, I am. 
I am who I am. That's exactly te technically what Yahweh means. I am who I am. What does that mean? It means, friends, that God is the one who is. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first cause of all things. He is the unmoved mover. He is the one who exists. My kids over the years have asked me lots of questions about God. One of the questions I've been asked many times, well, Dad, who made God? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Friends, God's answer to Moses in Exodus 3.14 was, I am. Who made God? I am. No one made God. I am all the, the root of existence. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first cause. I am the one who created all things. I am the one who never began and the one who will never end. God says, I am. And so David opens this psalm of praise using the personal name, O Yahweh, O Lord, and then he follows that up with another Lord. And the term for Lord, the second Lord here is Adonai. And Adonai is a term that can refer to a master, a king, a lord. And so David here is literally opening this psalm of praise, declaring, O Yahweh, our king, how majestic is your name in all the earth, O Yahweh, our king. Here in these opening verses of our passage, David is affirming the reality that Yahweh, the personal, self-revealing God of Israel is the one true God of all. And as such, his name is majestic over all the earth. Even if people don't know him or despite their failure to acknowledge him, he is the creator of all the earth. In fact, he's the creator of heaven and earth. And as such, he is majestic over all creation. In the book of Isaiah, God gave the prophet Isaiah a vision of his glory. He, he allowed Isaiah to see into the very throne room of heaven. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the prophet Isaiah records for us what he saw in this vision of the throne room of heaven. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. O Yahweh, our king, how majestic is your name. Friends, this wasn't David's vision. This was Isaiah's vision. But, but David recognized and acknowledged this very same God, Yahweh, the one who is both relational, revealing himself to his people, but also powerful and supreme over all creation. And these realities caused David to praise, recognizing who God was. 
And friends, please understand what David reveals to us here right away in verse 1. This truth, oh Yahweh, our king, how majestic is your name. This is no small thing. In fact, David's declaration of praise to Yahweh here, to our personal, self-revealing creator God, this declaration of praise, in it we discover a truth that sets Yahweh apart from every other religious and philosophical view of God throughout history. Friends, there's something very special and unique about our God, different from the world's views of God. Look at some of the different views of God that you can find throughout history and in our world. The gods of this world, pantheism. Pantheism says that everything is God, and God is an impersonal force. Polytheism says there are many finite gods, and these gods are jealous and capricious. They, they can't be trusted. Animism says there are many finite gods who spiritually indwell the natural world. They live in the rocks, the trees, the rivers. And, and so you've got to be careful how you relate to the world around you because those spirits can either help you or harm you. Deism says that there's a God who started the universe, but this God is now distant and unknowable. Agnosticism says there may be a God, but we can't know for sure. Atheism, of course, says there is no God. And humanism says that men and women are God. We are the pinnacle of the evolutionary order. There's nothing greater than men and women. Friends, contrast these views with David's declaration here in Psalm 8, verse 1. David says there is a God, and we can know him. His name is Yahweh. He is our king. And he is the majestic creator over all the earth. Wow. Friends, on one hand, David's declaration here should cause us to fall to our knees in humility. And on the other, it should inspire us to lift our arms and dance in praise. What a privilege it is to know the creator personally. How awesome. To think that this majestic king invites us into personal fellowship with him. Friends, are you starting to see why, why David's vision of God would inspire him to praise? Oh, Yahweh, our king, how excellent is your name. But David's not done yet. David goes on in the psalm. He goes on in verse 2 to declare the following. He says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Here David highlights one of the most consistent and profound truths found throughout Scripture. Here David reminds us of one of the greatest promises in all the Bible, a truth that for David is one of the most powerful illustrations of God's glory and majesty. What is this truth? The truth that David reminds us of here in verse 2 is that God uses the weak to confound the strong. What a great promise found all throughout Scripture. God is in the business of using weak things to confound the strong of this world. It's like the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27. 
Paul says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This is what David's getting at here this morning when he says that God even uses babies and infants to silence his enemies. God uses the weak to confound the strong. This is a truth that David himself had experienced in a powerful way. How many of you remember the famous story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when David fights the giant Goliath? You guys remember that great story, 1 Samuel 17? You remember what happened? David was sent by his father to visit his brothers who were fighting with the army of Israel against the Philistines. He was to bring his brothers food and supplies and, and David shows up at the battlefield and he finds all the Israelites, the army of God, trembling in fear because a single man, a giant, Goliath, stands in the middle of the valley taunting Israel and talking trash about Israel's God. And David says, what in the world? Why isn't anybody going down to slay this uncircumcised Philistine? But the army of Israel is quaking in fear. And so David says, well, I'll go down and fight the giant. And if you remember 1 Samuel 17, what was the response of his brothers? All right, get out of here. Get real. Why don't you go back and tend those few sheep of yours back home? Shepherd boy. And David says, no, no, I'll, I'll fight the giant. If no one else will, I'll go and face him. And so David puts on King Saul's armor, and King Saul laughs at him. Look at this boy. He can't even, he can't even fit in the armor. How's he supposed to go fight this giant? But David says, no, I'll go down. I'll go down and face this giant. Friends, what was it that gave David the confidence to go into the center of that valley and stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with this giant, this, this Goliath that had struck fear into the armies of Israel? What was different about David versus the army of God, the army of Israel? Well, friends, the difference here was David gazed at God and he glanced at Goliath. David saw the giant in front of him. But instead of gazing at the giant, David glanced at the giant and he gazed at God. He remembered, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name over all the earth. And David remembered that we serve a great and majestic God, a God who is the creator over all. And no giant is bigger than our great God. And it was David's recognition of the glory and majesty of God that inspired his confidence that God then honored and allowed David to conquer the giant. Friends, let me ask you something this morning. What giants are you facing today in your life? And where's your gaze? Are you gazing at the greatness of God and the majesty of God and the glory of God? Or are you gazing at the giants in front of you? See, friends, don't ever forget, when we feel weak and inadequate, when the trials of this world seem overwhelming, when the obstacles in front of us seem insurmountable, the Lord is our strength. God has chosen to display his majesty through the foolish and weak things of this world, even babies and infants. 
And when we trust in him by faith, we can be confident that he will always prove himself faithful. And because of this, we can unite our hearts with David's this morning. And we can praise God. We can praise God for his glory. But secondly, this morning, David calls us to praise God in light of his grace. David calls us to praise God in light of his grace, verses 3 through 5. What is grace, friends? Grace is simply unmerited favor or undeserved blessing. It's God lavishing gifts upon us, his people, not because of anything that we did to deserve them, but simply because of his great love for us. He's a God of amazing grace. And we see God's amazing grace here in our passage in in two primary ways. In in verses 3 through 4, we see God's amazing grace in his incredible care for us. God cares for us. Look at verses 3 through 4 if you have your Bibles open. David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you should care for him. I can imagine David as a shepherd boy sitting along the hills outside of Bethlehem at night as he's tending his sheep. And as he's sitting there by his campfire getting ready for bed, he he looks up in the stars in the sky and he sees the incredible glory of God displayed throughout the heavens. And David says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. When I look at these wondrous heavens that you created, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man, who am I that you should care for me? Friends, have you ever had that kind of experience? Maybe on a camping trip up north and you look up at the sky at night and you see the heavens and it's just breathtaking. Friends, understand what David saw. He had no idea how incredible the heavens are. Today, we have technology like the Hubble telescope, which can peer into the farthest reaches of the universe. I I want you to think about this. These squares that you see here on the screen behind me, these are all individual frames or fields of view from the Hubble telescope. Each one of these squares that you see on the screen is like the equivalent of taking a grain of sand, putting it on the tip of your finger, holding it at arm's length, and then peering at that grain of sand in light of the rest of the sky around you. That's the field of vision that each of these pictures depicts. And in each of these pictures, which is the equivalent of a grain of sand on the tip of your finger, in each of these pictures, in that tiny field of view, there are approximately 10,000 galaxies. 10,000 galaxies in each of those pictures. There are approximately 100 billion stars in each of those galaxies. The entire visible universe contains about 100 billion galaxies. Now, friends, what that means is that in the entire visible universe, just what we can see with modern technology, there is roughly 10,000 million, million, million stars. That's more than all the grains of sand on the face of the earth. 
Wow. And who is man that God is mindful of us? Who am I that he should care for us? But it's interesting, David in Psalm 139 tells us that God's thoughts about us are so great that if we could count them, they would outnumber all the grains of sand on the earth. That's how much God thinks about you. That's how much God cares about you. And understand, friends, it's not because of anything that you did to earn that or deserve that. It's purely a gift of God's amazing grace. The second thing that we see in our, in our passage here that illustrates God's amazing grace is his design for us. His design for us. Verse 5. In verse 5, David says that you have made him, you've made us, man, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. In your Bibles there, that term heavenly beings is the word Elohim in Hebrew. It can refer to God, God's little g, or heavenly beings like angels. David, in the context here, this translation in the ESV is probably not correct. It's probably more correct to literally translate this as God. You have made him, man, a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. What an incredible thing to consider that God has made us just a little lower than himself, a little lower than the heavenly beings a little lower than the angels, not in worth, but in position. And he's crowned us with glory and honor. Many people here in our church and around the country are anxiously awaiting the Supreme Court's decision likely to come this week, overturning the 40-year travesty of Roe versus Wade, which has led to the murders of over 60 million children in our nation. I, for one, am prayerfully optimistic that that great travesty is going to be overturned. It's a moral stain on the face of our nation. And it's not only a moral stain on the face of our nation, but it's also an affront to our creator God. It's an affront to our creator God who made each of those 60 million babies, crowning them with glory and honor. Where does David get this idea from? Well, he takes it all the way back from God's creation in Genesis chapter 1. David is thinking back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. This is called in in theological terminology the imago Dei. Men and women are created in the very image of God. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created him. Friends, every single human being who's ever been born in this world is created in the very image of God. God crowns every single one of us with glory and honor. The glory that David refers to here in Psalm 8 is the image of God that we're made in. The honor David refers to is the privilege that is ours different from all the rest of creation because we are made in the image of God. We're crowned with glory and honor. 
What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we share in God's communicable attributes. What does that term mean? Communicable attributes are the attributes that we can share with God as opposed to the incommunicable attributes, which are the attributes that only God possesses. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, right? Those are things that only God possesses. But God created us in his image, sharing with us certain attributes, like personhood, like relationality, like the ability to love, like the ability to express joy, like the ability to think and have emotions and feeling, right? Those are things that we have different from any other creature in the universe because we are created in the very image of God, crowned with glory and honor. Friends, why do we oppose abortion? We oppose abortion because it's the destruction of lives created in the image of God that have been crowned with glory and honor. Today, many of our African-American brothers and sisters are celebrating a new holiday, a new federal holiday that was just instituted this past year called Juneteenth. Juneteenth. I've seen some people online mocking this new holiday as, as a woke holiday. Friends, if anyone should be celebrating with our African-American brothers and sisters this new holiday, it should be Christians who understand the Imago Dei, the image of God. What, what is this new federal holiday? June 10th, June 19th. It's significant because it symbolizes, it represents June 19th, uh, 1865, when the last slaves in the United States were finally set free. Two and a half years after President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. The last slaves in America were set free two and a half years later. Friends, that's a cause for celebration. That's a cause for us to unite our hearts with our African-American brothers and sisters and rejoice. Why? Because it's theological. Because it's biblical. Because David tells us that all people are sacred and crowned with glory and honor. And that slavery, according to scripture, is a perversion of God's created order. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Friends, freedom is God's will for humanity. And the sacred human right to liberty should always be celebrated and championed, especially by God's people who understand that men and women are created in the very image of God, crowned with glory and honor. And again, friends, remember, this is all a gift of God's amazing grace. We didn't do anything to deserve this. God, in his love for us, created us this way, as men and women made in his image, crowning us with glory and honor, making us distinct and different from all of creation. And so we praise him for it. But thirdly, in our passage this morning, David goes on and he says, he calls us to praise in light of God's grant. God's grant. What has God granted us? God has granted us dominion over all of creation. Look at verse 6. David says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Once again, David is thinking back to the creation mandate in Genesis 1. David is going back to Genesis 1, 28 through 31. 
Where after telling us that God makes us in his image, God goes on and says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God says, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. God has given us dominion over all of creation. This is what David goes on to express at the end of his psalm. You put all things under the feet of man, sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, fish of the sea. God has given humanity dominion over the created world. And God granted humanity dominion over creation, a dominion that was intended to give meaning to life and life to the world but instead, what have we done with that dominion? We've turned God's glory and this gracious gift of his granting dominion on its head. And instead, we've completely perverted God's call to be in dominion over his creation. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 21 through 25 tells us what's taken place. What has man done in our rebellion? Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Friends, what has man done? Instead of worshiping God, we worship the creation. Instead of worshiping the God who created man and the animals, we've said there is no God, and now man and the animals are all there is. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Friends, let me tell you something. When men and women reject God, the inevitable result is no dominion, no distinction, no doxology, and no delight. Let me break that down for you. When men and women reject God and his glory and our proper place in his created order, there's no dominion. We become no different than the creation around us. There's no distinction. We're nothing more than highly evolved animals whose closest ancestors swing from the trees and live in the zoos. There's no doxology. What is doxology? It's praise. Why would we praise when we're no different from any other animal in the world? Just evolved slimy algae. No dominion. No distinction, no doxology, and no delight. Friends, why is there increasing despair in our world today? Why is there increasing depression, increasing mental health disorders? Why? It's because we've lost sight of who God is and our proper place in relation to him. We've taken our eyes off of God's glory and his creation. I want to close this morning by reading for you an article written by a friend of mine named Randy Alcorn, Eternal Perspectives Ministries. Randy Alcorn wrote a great piece a number of years ago called The Two Sources of Self-Esteem. 
I want to read this for us, and I want you to think about the difference between what our world tells us is the basis for our self-esteem and what God tells us is the basis for our self-esteem. What is the secular basis for self-esteem? You are the descendant of a tiny cell of primordial protoplasm that washed up on an ocean beach four billion years ago. You are the blind and arbitrary product of time, chance, and natural forces. Your closest living relatives swing from trees and eat crackers in the zoo. You are a mere grab bag of atomic particles, a conglomeration of genetic substance. You exist on a tiny planet in a minute solar system in an obscure galaxy in a remote empty corner of a vast, cold, and meaningless universe. You are flying through lifeless space with no purpose, no direction, no control, and no destiny but final destruction. You are purely a biological entity, different only in degree but not in kind, from a microbe, virus, or amoeba. You have no essence beyond your body, and at death you will cease to exist entirely. What little life you do have is confined to a fragile body aimlessly moving through a world plagued by war, famine, and disease. The only question is whether the world will manage to blow itself up before your brief and pointless life ends on its own. In short, you came from nothing, you are going nowhere, and you will end your brief cosmic journey beneath six feet of dirt where all that, you, that, that is you will become food for bacteria and rot for worms. Now, friends, doesn't that just make you feel special? <laughs> and we wonder why our culture today is facing a crisis of despair. But what does God's word tell us? God's word says you are a special creation of a good and all-powerful God. You are the climax of his creation, the magnum opus of the greatest artist in the universe. You are created in his image with capacities to think, feel, and worship that set you above all other life forms. You differ from the animals not simply in degree but in kind. Not only is your kind unique, but you are unique among your kind. God has masterminded the exact combination of DNA and chromosomes that constitute your genetic code, making you as different from all others as every snowflake differs from the rest. Yes, you are sinners, and in and of yourselves, you do not deserve to go to heaven. But despite your rebellion, your creator loved you so much and so intensely desires your companion and companionship and affection that he gave the life of his only son so that you might spend eternity with him. If you are willing to accept the free gift of salvation, you can become a child of God, the king of the universe. As a Christian, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. He has given you special gifts and abilities to serve him in a particular and unique way. Your heavenly father is sovereign and will allow nothing to cross your path that is not first father filtered. He cares for you so much that he is totally available to you at all times and listens to every word you say. He cares deeply about your hurts, has a perfect plan for your life, and has given you the inspired word of God as a roadmap for living. He gives you the truth that sets you free, a life that is abundant and eternal, and a spiritual family that needs you and loves you. 
Your destiny is to live forever in a magnificent kingdom, to reign with Christ over the universe. You will forever enjoy the wonders of his presence and the marvels of his creation. You will spend eternity in intimate and joyful fellowship with your beloved Lord, your precious spiritual family, and all who love Jesus Christ. Now, friends, how does that make you feel this morning? What is our basis for praise, friends? Our basis for praise is recognizing God's glory, God's grace, and the special place he's granted us in all of creation. I hope you're encouraged by that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the truths proclaimed here in your word. We thank you for the reality that we have been made in your image, beloved, privileged, special out of all of creation, that you have granted us dominion over creation because we are crowned with glory and honor made in your image. Lord, you loved us so much that you came into this world 2,000 years ago to personally reveal yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And you laid down your life on the cross so that we might have life. I pray, Father, that there is nobody here this morning or watching online who misses out on the good news of a life-giving relationship with our Creator God through the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we think about what you've done for us and your many blessings for us, I pray that we would join David and be inspired to be people who praise your name. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent and majestic is your name over all the earth. We pray this in God's great and glorious name. Amen. Friends, why don't you stand for our benediction this morning? From 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Now may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Go and be a people of praise this week. Amen. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.